I would just say there's one misperception of our veterans, and that is they are somehow damaged goods. Although if we tell our veterans enough that this is what's wrong with them, they may actually start believing it. Hey everybody, welcome to Dead Reckoning Radio. On this episode, we have the folks that joined us up in Kittery, Maine for our inaugural writer's workshop. Keith and I decided to step out of the room and allow them to discuss what all they got out of the weekend together. Needless to say, without supervision or guidance, there are some tangents, but they're all worthwhile. Overall, this was a fun conversation to listen to. We hope y'all enjoy. Oh, I don't want to carry the New England hat, but if I can wear the hat of like, hey, if we're in a different place and Marty's like done his research on either restaurants or Airbnbs, like I will fully 100% carry that uh carry that for i will carry that that cross we can just group it to hospitality yeah yeah sure yeah places to stay places to eat um good coffee and i'm not an expert i'm not an expert in any of those three places but i think i know just what were we talking about earlier today we're like you know just enough to be dangerous what was that line who wrote that line that we were talking about mac dangerous confidence such a cool fucking line like mindful quiet yeah like there was you know and so jumping back into it here that was one of my favorite things about today is just some of the great one-liners in all the work that we were looking at there was some absolute just stunners in there that from everything that we read It, it was just there was those 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 lines that you highlighted and you were like yes like Give me that tattoo or put that on a t-shirt or send that fucking postcard to my grandma. The world needs to see that line, you know? Um, and if they get to the rest of the story, great. But if not, fuck, man, that line, that line fucks, you know? I mean, you said about one of Keith's poems that, that every man should read it, you know, every decade. And, Once a decade, yeah. And, and I mean, that is quite a, a testament. But, yeah, I, I think each author had segments in their writing that were so resonant with the readers and that I, I just think that's you know part of what great writing can accomplish is that it could bring you it can invite you in and everybody had some moments today whether it was dangerous confidence or it was uh, driving around in a cul-de-sac. The sausages. Stacking bodies in a freezer. The sausages. Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, uh, everybody had that moment where uh, we were like, thank you for bring, welcoming me into this piece of writing. And, and I think it's a good time to give uh, the brains behind Dead Reckoning a big nod for selecting the pieces they selected. Yeah. Because uh, if two pieces were too similar, then those lines might have gotten lost. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that there were three totally different pieces. Yeah. Uh, allowed, at least it helped me focus on that one, not get confused. And then the next author, it was totally fresh, and I felt fresh going into it. Yeah. It's also one of the, one of the reasons why we put the poetry in the middle. Yeah. It clearly wasn't a random selection. It was whoever, you, Tyler Keith, whoever selected it, did a perfect job doing that. Coming back to, to drafts, I think we were talking about, you said you need a pretty good draft to, I think you do need a pretty good draft to make this specific weekend productive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think that sometimes 
you should be okay with a shitty first draft. And so, you know, so if, if you know, the, the fact that Mac came in with a first draft of that quality is pretty rare. Yeah. Uh, and that if, if I am holding myself to the max standard on my first draft of my first short story, I probably will never write it. And so like, uh, I am grateful that I've kind of been taught and for my writing processes, be okay with the shitty first draft and then revise, revise, revise. Uh, we were fortunate that we had, you know, uh, Keith had been working some of those poems for a very long time. And so, um, yeah, I think that to maximize a weekend like uh, we just experienced, you, you had to have drafts that were at least, you know, kind of a pretty solid foundation, a pretty solid place to start. I'm a believer that if you're going to ask somebody to take the time mm -hmm. to give you feedback on something that you owe it to them mm -hmm. to put your best foot forward up to, up to the point of, uh, hey, I took this as far as I could get it with, you know, whatever time I had to work with or, you know, whatever. And now I need that outside help. But yeah, I don't think, it, you know, come together for a workshop. I don't think that's the place for like, well, you know, wrote this on the plane and, you know, right. fucking here it is, guys, you know. If you're gonna, if you're going to ask a reader for their full, mm -hmm. complete attention, for eight, nine, 10, 15 pages, you owe it to them to make sure you're going to hold their attention mm -hmm. for that whole time. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times emerging authors or emerging writers are not yet capable of doing that. Mm -hmm. And so it would be unwise to assume that your first draft of anything is going to be able to do that, which I'm sure you can probably speak a little bit to what you see working with, you know, with, with magazines that are pushing out these are a lot of times students. And so do you see kind of a spread there between, is it obvious to you who's done the work and who has not yet done yes. the work? Yeah. And on a couple of different levels, there's the actual, like just having read the instructions of what we're looking for. When, when you're sending out to literary magazines, mm -hmm. if you're trying to get published, pay attention to what they're publishing. If you're, mm -hmm. if you're writing Twilight fan fiction, you don't go for a magazine that you know is never gonna publish something yeah. like that. So there's that, just the read the read the instructions read an issue before you send to it. In workshopping environments, I, I, I try not to have hard and fast rules because somebody will always come up and be like, well, what if? And they'll have like a good, all right, well, that's a good exception. But a lot of times I try and make sure a piece is complete. And that was the other thing I liked about everything we did. There was nothing like, there was no asterisks like, and then this is going to happen here, but I haven't written yet or yeah. open-ended or, you know, not really a beginning. They were they had beginning, middle, and end, and they were complete, as complete as they could be mm -hmm. in, in that moment. Because I think you, you could bring something in, but it's also, as a writer, the more open-ended you leave it, the more you're inviting other people to come into your space and now direct mm -hmm. the story in a very mm -hmm. prescriptive way, in a way that's probably not very beneficial, because now you've basically given the reins over to somebody else, and it could end up spinning out into the stratosphere in a direction you don't ever intend on taking it. So... That's that like artistic vision that you have to have to a degree to just be like, this is, I don't know how I'm going to get it there, but this is what I want to see it be. And the more complete you can make that, the more likely you're pushing everybody to look at the direction you want to look at it. Yeah. So, and I think it comes in not coming in with an element of humility, uh, but respect to the reader. And then 
to, to your point, you know, if you respect my time, like you won't just hand me a pile of steaming shit, right? And so, but also not intentionally, sure. right? <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> and then, but what we've discussed several times throughout the weekend is, is some sense of entitlement, uh, because I'm a veteran writer, or this is my personal truth, and it's like, okay, but it's not very good and it needs some work like and so like that's not a personal attack on you right and so uh i think that the the element of humility uh <laughs> that everyone kind of came in but also we, we came we've worked hard on you know keith's worked hard mike's worked hard max worked hard on these uh so it wasn't like hey i'm just read a bunch of this stuff i haven't really thought about it too much and now you do the work right they everybody here put in the work uh but didn't feel entitled that like you know my my sh they didn't have this hubris uh and so i think um i think that that was also like it was just all all the right elements i think were in place well and again to like the hat tip to keith and tyler for which i know jerry's out on tyler but uh um <laughs> <laughs> But Keith and Tyler, you know, uh, they did kind of a great job as casting directors for this weekend of, you know, what a cool group of people that, you know, to come together. And I know I certainly um, feel super privileged to have been able to sit down at a table with people that I would trust to give feedback on and, and value that feedback. And, and, you know, I was as concerned, <laughs> you know, I'm sure for, you know, the guys that, you know, had their stuff read today, it was like, there's probably a certain amount of anxiety there, right? Like, I had a little bit of anxiety. I was like, man, is my fucking feedback worth a shit? You know, <laughs> like, because I respect so much, so much of everybody that uh, I respect everybody that was sitting at that table so much. It's like, man, I hope I'm not like falling short on my feedback for them, you know? Um, so it's just a really cool collection of people that we, uh, we have together for this. Yeah, all credit to the Dead Reckoning guys for bringing this specific group together. Mm -hmm. Definitely nerve-wracking having my first stab at fiction read in front of my boss's boss. And then uh, <laughs> the... Uh, <laughs> Should we talk about that for a second? So, Mac... Uh, <laughs> Let's give some context. So, first yeah. time meeting him, doesn't even know what I look like. But yeah, you're tear this apart on camera. Great. Um... So oh, Mac I didn't is. Let us post it publicly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So Mac is. So it's what? What is today? March twenty first. Oh yeah, fucking recon day or whatever. It's like all of March is like every Hell MOS yeah. in the Marine Corps. This is like the third day this month where oh, I see December the Marines five, on rah. social media being like, "Oh, it's March eleventh. Oh, it's March seventeenth. Yeah. It's March twenty first. Yeah. It's Hell yeah. fucking Jesus. It should Christmas. only be fucking March. Yeah. Be. And then there's like a couple of guys that they like claim all three days because they've got had a very prestigious career in the Marine Corps. <laughs> Sound like some it's like, geez, dude, like, come on, leave some room for fucking Saint Pat, okay? Um, <laughs> um but uh so mac is uh so it's like yeah it's like march um march 21st mac starts with cough your die as a staff writer on uh april 1st and yeah this is the first time that mac and i have met in person and it is kind of an interesting dynamic of like hey we're you know now this is not the first time i've read mac's work before he's you know published with us uh, a couple times via freelance and and everything like that there, there's a reason he's getting hired right like he's a fucking good writer we all saw that today um, 
And uh, yeah, so it kind of interesting being able to sit down at a table with, a, uh, you know, uh, a new person on my team, you know, and be able to dive in with other people into some of his work. It's, you know, really cool. And, uh, you know, uh, you be able to, I, I, I'd like to think that you're evaluating me a little bit too, you know? Yeah, a little it's, bit. Oh, you should Like be. we said, I made some notes for HR for later. Yeah. Uh, HR lady, it doesn't count. He's not officially <laughs> on the payroll yet. April 1st. But the record reflected is March 21st today. <laughs> HR lady. The most damning statements came March 20th, so they're definitely <laughs> null and void. I don't know. It was all, you know, a blur to me. I've made multiple references that are not appropriate for any sort of adult setting, so I haven't matured. You know, there's that theory out there that you nobody really matures past, like, age 16. They just have more... Uh, um, there's just more life experience coloring, but like you're essentially the same person you were at 16. I freaking hope not. Uh, <laughs> I think that really applies to me. I don't like, <laughs> I really feel like maybe there's certain things I'm better at now, but I'm like essentially the same person that I was at 16. Actually, you're not wrong. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I didn't know you were at 16, but I. Nothing to write home about. You didn't miss anything. <laughs> I don't know. Do you are you do you guys feel like you've progressed past sixteen? I fucking hope so. Sixteen year old me <laughs> was thought. at its core. At its core, like uh, yes, I've advanced. We've all advanced past sixteen, but like my essence was I was 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 the essential some of those yeah, I think I could see some of that that yeah, that core is there. I don't think I'm a yeah. fundamentally different person, though, than I was at 16. There's a lot of things that are different about me, but I don't, like fundamentally, I don't think I'm a different person. Were you writing at 16, Marty? Uh, you know, so there was, there was like some writing on the wall, so to speak, when I look back at, and especially recently, you know, we moved out here to New England, and so you go through boxes and things like that as you're packing up, and found a lot of my old things from school, and, you know, I don't... <sighs> Until I got out of the army, it was like two years after I got out of the army where I realized like, oh, this is my passion. This is where I want to go. But man, the signs were all there. It's really kind of, there's like no excuse really for me not realizing this sooner. I look at some of the stuff that I was doing. Um, one, how much I read growing up. But two, yeah, I was writing stuff. There's, you know, we did this trip um, one summer where we were kayaking, you know, a hundred or so miles of the of the Missouri River, hundred and fifty so miles of the Missouri River at a time, uh, every summer, and I was writing this like basically uh, historical fiction of like reimagining the trip through the eyes of Lewis and Clark, right? And and I was writing this thing, and yeah, it's nothing you know that I would go back and be like, wow, I really you know watch out for Marty Scovland, you know, back then, not necessarily, but it's just like that's where my head was. Nobody told me to do that. I was doing. Um, a lot of, you know, I wrote a couple of sermons for church and things like that. And mm -hmm. I definitely enjoyed writing the papers in history class and social studies and English. And, mm -hmm. you know, so there's like a lot of things that were just like, man, how did I not see this coming? It's one of my bigger regrets that, man, I spent all this time, especially in the military on deployments where you have a significant amount of downtime that you deal with. Like, <laughs> that's right. Like the, one of the dirty secrets of war is you sit around a fucking lot and do nothing, you know? And I watched a lot of, a lot of TV shows and a lot of movies and, you know, stuff like that. It's just like, man, I could have knocked out like a book of deployment 
you know? Like I could have knocked out a screenplay deployment. I could have had so such a portfolio, such a resume coming out of the military if I had known. And I really envy these guys and gals who knew going into the military, knew from a young age, like, hey, I want to be a writer. Hey, this is what I want to do. And they kind of always, even if they were doing other things, always knew uh, and were taking advantage of um, the opportunities to write along the way and, and everything. And, and to a certain degree, because of when I started, it's felt ever since I've got started on this, like I'm playing catch up mm-hmm. with the people who've known from the get-go or people who didn't, never went into the military, went to college, got their degree, and then immediately started interning at a magazine. Or whatever. You know, It's like I feel like I'm playing catch up. Yeah, yeah I mean, think, think of E.B. Sledge writing in the Bibles of his, of his margin, uh, margins of his Bible. Think about Marlantis heading into, you know, Marlantis, I'm sure, was writing, you know, throughout. Uh, think of O'Brien. Um, who's the other uh, Mortarman from Kilo 3-5? He's got the shitty attitude. Yeah, Lackey. Like, I mean, these guys. Uh, these you guys. fucking hate Lackey. I don't know why he writes beautifully. <laughs> Just because he wasn't a fucking lieutenant. Oh, wow. Uh, I <laughs> literally love E.B. Sledge, who was also not a lieutenant. Lackey was a disgruntled, a great writer, and I like Lackey, but he's kind of pissy. He's kind of like. He pissy. just refused to read Strongman Arms, which is the best account of the Pacific because of his bad attitude. Anyway, so continue. we'll revisit. Uh, to Marty's point, a lot of these guys were writing and, throughout their deployments and, and went in knowing they were writers, thinking about writing. And it's like, oh, you wrote a fantastic war novel. Like, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, I, on my deployment, I did write, but I was writing um, just like very much journal entry, like patrolled this sector today, uh, took contact from the Northeast. Uh, and it was not like, I never envisioned myself as a writer. And then I, I did plug into my faith a lot d- during my deployments because I was very close to death uh, throughout most of my two deployments. And so I'd find myself reading Psalms, looking at what David wrote, and then like saying, you know, where I felt, uh, what, what I felt David was saying and what I kind of felt at the time, but uh, ne- never in anticipation that like writing might be a thing uh, for me at some point. I, I feel like you basically said the same thing and it feels so unique, but I've heard that so many times uh, that now I just assume it. And it's the same thing with me. Like when I told my wife and my mom, like, I'm going to, you know, really try everything I can to make writing be what I can do for for work they were like well yeah you've been writing since you were a little kid and I'm like what and like, yeah you used to just write stories with your friends like that's what you guys would do and I was like oh I guess that's not normal and I'm like, <laughs> yeah you kept a journal every deployment did anyone else like well I guess not they're like yeah no shit you're you want to write you've always been writing and that's now like it for me I was like Holy shit, how did I not see? And I've heard that conversation from so many people say, Oh, I've been writing my whole life. I just didn't I just didn't realize it. Cause I never considered growing up like that I could make that a reality as far as employment goes. So it was just like, oh, I love to write, so I will keep writing. But okay, what am I gonna do to provide and make money and 
uh, it seems like when people finally can find a way to make that happen, then they're like, oh shit, it's been right in front of me this whole time. I just didn't know. It, it, I mean, it's absolutely uh, insane that you, everybody else can see this thing about you and you don't realize it's going on and, and just, it makes you wonder, you know, for me, it's like, man, what am I not seeing right now that 10 years from now, somebody's going to be like, hey, how do, like, are you kidding me, you know? Um, but also, I think there's a big part of it, I think, especially when you're a young kid growing up or, or a young adult, the idea of being a professional writer, I think, for, unless you know somebody that had done that, which for me, I did not. I later found out that I actually had a, uh, I believe he's a great uncle who was a journalist, and I have his camera now. Um, he wrote for the um, paper at the time in, in uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I didn't know that when I was growing up, though. Nor did I know him, period. Like, he was uh, long gone before I came around. And uh, But I think it's one of those things that's similar to a lot of people for, like, you know, acting or, you know, so a lot of these other creative fields, right? Creative fields feel so out of touch because there's not this defined pathway to getting that job, right? It's a very nebulous thing where you're like, everybody's path to being a, a professional creative in any genre, right, is very unique to that person. Everybody, it's like, yeah, who you know thing, or I did this, or I did that, or I zigged instead of zagged, and you know, now I'm, now I'm here, you know? Like me and Max, the way we've come into contact with each other was very much by chance, you know, I feel like, and. But I think that's uh, also a part of it, right? Mm -hmm. Is that like you, like Mac is, you know, he got the job at Coffee or Die because he, he was in alignment to receive it mm -hmm. because he had already done all of the work. Put, yep. yep. Put himself in a position to be yeah. in a track. Yeah, 100%. But I think it's just like what, when you think about it as a kid, though, and not knowing where you're going to go or a young adult, it just seems like such a fantastical, like, oh, grow up, kid. Go, you know, right. go do something that's a little bit more realistic, yeah. you know, whereas writing, it's even a couple of years ago, like, mm -hmm. You don't think that some of the things, you know, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It just, it seems, I, there's days even right now where like, I'm like, man, I don't like, I feel like things are going too good for me as far as like being a writer. Like I aren't writers I'm supposed to be like, yeah. Sad and depressed. Like, yeah. Well, you feel like, I feel like, like, you know, particularly for me right now, we've got some really cool things going on, both um, for me, both personally and professionally. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's like one of those things that I had, so I was talking to, um uh logan stark who i think you're familiar with yeah um so he uh is like one of the main brains behind everything at black rifle coffee and, and a big uh a big part of what that company is and uh, the success that it's had so far and he and i have talked a lot about like you know success and things happening and things going well and there's this innate almost like fear of that of to where you think like, you know, it's like life is like the stock market, right? Like what goes up must come down and what goes down must come up, you know? And, and we're talking about, like, is that unique to combat veterans? Because when it got too quiet or things got too, too good, it was like, you knew, okay, now's when the bad thing happens. You know, now's when, you know. No, it is not only, only a combat you know? veteran. <laughs> yeah. I can guarantee well, it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it's different for you guys, but I, no, not necessarily, but it's just one I open every once in a while. Like, yeah. this shit can't last forever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's almost it, it's like an interesting thing, and and I think you do wonder, especially as a creative uh, or uh, you know somebody who's being creative professionally, and you're just like, man, does this last forever? And shit, man, some of the most successful writers of the 20th century, it's like they were 
very successful and still fucking killed themselves. Yeah, I, I think you what, know? What, what part of whether it's the the artist or the combat veteran, I think it's us. It's we get uncomfortable when the homeostasis occurs. It's like, well, no, I know entropy, entropy, right? Like, where is the chaos? Like, that's where I'm comfortable when I'm fighting, yep. when shit's blowing up, when shit's and like I, and it's like, wait, things are pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what this and I'm like suspicious and yeah. <laughs> And this is TMI, you know, but like when when I, when that happens in my life personally, I'm like, wait, everything is like aligned, and like I'm happy, and it's like, well, let me see if I can reconnect these wires to this time bomb and blow this shit right up, right? And so like, you know, so long as you this can, is a familiar feeling yeah. to me. Guard against, yeah, because I, 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 I for so long felt like everything I did because I grew up in such a chaotic youth it, that I always felt like my drive to do everything was to restore order to the chaos. And so when I got into combat and it was all chaos, I was like, oh, I just had like, I know this, this is, I've been here my whole life. It's no problem. Like, I just like, oh, we got a casualty here. We got an ambush here. And we need artillery there. It's like, yep, yep, yep. Just going to put, it's so, uh, and, and then, and, and I thought that's what was my, my driving motivation is to always put the order the chaos and then uh when i started when things were pretty orderly when i hadn't had a combat deployment i was deployed from 2010 to you know my my youth was like one ambush after another after uh, i was always kind of getting punched always and then it was like so i didn't and then and then i'm like all right in my young adulthood it's like oh right back in it right it's like as a you know from from 22 to 25 i'm in afghanistan so it's all what i it's what i've been growing up with and it's like Things started to stabilize. Things are starting to be pretty good. I'm like, how am I going to? I didn't realize this, but I was like, I got to find a way to fuck this up. Like, this is, uh, this is, I and, and so this idea that anytime things are too good, you start to kind of get uncomfortable. It's interesting. Uh, I think in your case, with the company, with the organization, with the leadership, and with what you guys bring, I think you should feel pretty good about it. Yeah. Yeah. But then it's like you say that and then you like get T-boned on the way out of here, you know? Like, well, yeah. That's, you know, yeah, the whole sleep with one eye open thing. It's, it's interesting. It's not to get complacent. It's not, yeah. it's not, it's not to say, hey, yeah, just go ahead and rest on your laurels. You gotta, I mean. Yeah. You can never do that. It's like Mac, you know? coming on like it's super exciting and everything like that but it's like it's that day you know i compare it to like the day i you know got my tan beret it's like ah, oh, i made it no you fucking didn't now you just got another now the work new, actually new starts. expectations yeah. and new responsibilities and new mm-hmm. everything it's it's constantly it's this constantly evolving like you, you those, those false uh hilltop the false summits yeah you know and it's it's a series of that but it's like yeah well you know you never really do truly want a summit because you don't want the trip to end, right? It's great too that to bring it back to writing. Like that's great. Like you finish something or you sell it or someone picks it up for publication. You're like, oh, this is amazing. Like I made yep. it. You you didn't. Like now all the actual hard work starts because that publication house is that publishing house is going to give it to an editor who's going to send you back a file stack of revisions to make Mm -hmm. you know and there's always like the ongoing story of like the writer who becomes an author who thinks like 
all I have to do is sell my first book or all I have oh, to do geez, is get this and then I've made it. And you God know? forbid that whatever you did uh, becomes extremely successful and now you're constantly trying to live up to that yes. for at everything other thing you do. Like, God help you if you are just knocking out of the park on your first try because you're going to be trying to live up to that for the rest of your life. You know? The writer uh, David Foster Wallace, his first book he published when he was still an undergrad, I think. Yeah, it was and his graduate. Yeah, I mean, it was, he was like graduation, his capstone project. Right, his yeah. thesis. That's that thing. And it took off and three years later he was in rehab, his entire life had fallen apart mm -hmm. and he was, he would always say to younger writers, just I hope to God you don't have any success before the age of 35 like don't let that go to your head because yeah. and I've heard a lot of other writers tell me that that have mentored me and given me the time time of day and spoken to me that's mm -hmm. just focus on living consistently putting out good work and focusing on each project and just doing the best in the moment because you never know what's going to happen once it gets out in the world people are going to pan it people are going to love it you're going to go up here you're going to go down here you don't have any control once it's out there yeah so just be more consistent and try and stay in the moment, focus on what you have in front of you, and that seems to be the best, uh, the best attitude I've come up with so far. Great, awesome. So on that note, when are we gonna expect final uh, revised draft from you two? I don't think it should just be us. I think everyone who submitted, workshopped, and the other people in that folder, we should all agree to a deadline to resubmit and uh, even if it's all virtual, we can read each other's stuff. That's great. Even if there, nothing comes out of it, I personally want to read Keith's poems, your story, because they were so fucking good, but there's a lot to be done. I want to see the finished product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Agreed. This, that, this also really says something to the nature of good workshop groups, is that it doesn't end at the end of the weekend. Like, you, you'll still continue to have those conversations. And, I mean, we've been here together now for three days, just reading and writing and talking and eating and reading and writing and talking and eating. And, and a lot of times, you know, like, especially if you're not tied to, like, a, a community that fosters this, you know, if you're in another branch of writing that doesn't necessarily, you know, sometimes deadlines are more important than four days of reading, writing, and eating. Um, it's one of the great things is you get to take that community forward. You know, you see it all the time, too, with what you do. Um, so it's, it's a great, a great send-off. Mm -hmm. Well, big thanks to Dead Reckoning Company, or Collective, Dead Reckoning Collective, for uh, providing us, uh, you know, a, a venue to, to come together and, and, and bringing us all together on this. And, um, you know, I think... Big thanks to Black Rifle yeah. Coffee Collective, yeah, big, big. I mean, well, company. Yeah. <laughs> That's, I like Black Rifle Coffee Collective better, I think. Um, no, so like, you know, go out there and after you're done listening to this, go, go get that copy of Lucky Joe that Dead Wrecking just dropped recently. Maybe buy a bag of Black Rifle Coffee because, you know, nothing goes with a good book like, like uh, a cup of hot coffee. And, uh, you know, uh, hopefully we can all come back together for one of these things again. Check out Max's Definitely. work in Coffee or Die. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Be about that, yeah. There you go. Yeah, be about with me on Zoom. We'll talk books, yeah. talk words, bunch of word nerds. There's writerly communities. Uh, the biggest, I, I think, the biggest misperception is that somehow we're damning. Nothing, nothing really can stop us.